everybody. Welcome to Rev Dive. Thanks for coming back to listen to us again. Today, we have the distinct pleasure of chatting with Lucian Roberts. He is the practice administrator at Gastrointestinal Specialists in Virginia, former president of the Virginia MGMA chapter, legislative advocate award winner, writer and speaker for physicians practice and the AMA. And Lucian, we are just so excited to have you on the show. Thank you. This is perhaps the honor of my lifetime. Uh, I've been so excited, look forward to this all year long. So thank you for the honor. We'll be sure to nominate you for your Oscar later. Yes, yes. Yes, you'll be at the Rev Dive Red Carpet Award. So Lucian, I had the pleasure of chatting with you a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about, well, a couple of things. First and foremost, your perpetually positive demeanor. I, I don't know how you do that, given how hard you are working day in and day out, but you have also been fighting some serious uphill battles in the area of prior authorization and your attempts to get gold carded for certain services. Um, so ha- help me set the scene here a little bit for Kim, because she didn't get to be on that call What's going on right now? Sure, I think I think on you have when you speak to prior authorizations, usually there are two things that the two pain points. One is the medications. A payer gets a, a better deal with one manufacturer, so they want you to switch all of your patients from one product that is working just great, and you've had the patients believe in, and that's a big thing. Oh, yes. You're, yeah. you're giving this to the patient because you're saying it works for you. And then you're having to switch because the insurance company got a better deal. That's not the one we're going to talk about today. The one that I'm talking about has to do with procedure authorization. So in gastroenterology, we do um, colonoscopies and uh, upper endoscopies um, and other endoscopies going in one uh, orifice or the other. Um, we do switch tubes if we go from one to the other. I want everybody to know. And <laughs> that's important. That's important. It's important to know. To know. <laughs> so that's what, that's what we had discussed, Kim, was the idea that if you're doing a procedure day in, day out, and that it is being approved, by a payer in most instances, then it is an unnecessary and additional cost to the healthcare system. So the practice is having to hire and pay staff to get the authorization. The payer is having to have its mechanisms in place to um, consider and then approve or deny this. And when the when most of the procedures are being approved, then uh, you wonder why we have this process in place. Right, and and as Taya mentioned, you know you are looking into um, gold carding to to kind of circumvent all of the prior authorizations that your staff and you know they're they're currently facing. How long have you been working on that process? And can you kind of can you kind of talk about what that process has been like for you? Oh, sure. And and gold carding may be a Lucian term. I don't know if it's an industry. <laughs> um, it's probably titanium or diamond at this point. But in in my prior uh, life, I worked in neurology, and 
we ordered a lot of MRIs and CTs of the brain. I could document that they were medically necessary. Virtually everyone that we requested got approved. So we went to different payers in the community and said, look, Nat, you know, for us, you're approving 99 out of 100 MRIs of the brain. Um, why are we both paying staff to do this service? So we, we had what was called goal, goal carding, in which if we ordered an MRI of the brain, that it would not have to go through the authorization process. Saved us time, money, saved the payers time, money, and, you know, and we don't want to forget about the patient. Right. Uh, authorization processes often delay care. Yeah. Yeah. So it gets the patient resolution quicker. Yeah. And that's what we had. The other, the other caveat with that, Kim, is that if you have a neurologist that is going to order a CT of the abdomen, mm-hmm. they've never ordered a CT of the abdomen, maybe you should get them to go through yeah. some groups because they right. may not know what they're ordering. Right. And in, um, in gastroenterology, uh, an upper endoscopy or an EGD is one that we have been tracking uh, since March of 2020 with one of our largest payers. They outsourced their authorization process to uh, an acronym company. And um, it's not ready or fire, but probably in between those two as to the name of it. Okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) So... You know, if, if I'm looking at what we've done, and I'm going to look down for a second. So since March of 2020, this is during the pandemic and so forth, we requested 1,366 authorizations with this payer for an EGD or an upper endoscopy. Wow. Of those 1,341 or 98.17% were okay. So we had 15 out of 1,366 that were denied, in which we had to send additional information. That's, you know, if you take 1,366 and you say, oh, each one is only 10 minutes, then it's still a lot of time. You know, it's for one payer, it's probably 0.2 or 0.3 FTE. Um, And if... We are getting these approved routinely. If the vast, vast majority are getting approved, then it seems to me it's a redundant process. Yeah. So why do it? And and just thinking about the the different types of procedures, you are are you looking to do this for um, a host of of procedures that you you kind of regularly have to get prior authorization for? I think we start with the ones that we do most okay. and that are most common. You know, some of the the uh, less common procedures, the more advanced GI procedures, those are going to be done quickly and we're going to fight to get those done whatever hoops we need to because they aren't uh, elective per se or um, as time sense or they're more time sensitive. So we knock those out. What I'd like to do is to start with the base where I've got incredible data that is their data and say, look, you know, it's either, either you are, um, 
you're saving enough money denying 2% of procedures to cover your cost, or um, you're losing money and we ought to stop it. If you're saving enough money denying 2%, then uh, that's a whole nother conversation because that, that would get at the whole um, industry-wide mechanism of what's, what's that um, break even for a payer to deny? Is it 5% and they cover their cost or is it 3%? Right, right. right now, we know that it costs the practices money regardless. Right. Absolutely. And you know what's interesting is that there's throughout this process, there there has to be a ton of analytics that you have to perform. Right. I, I'm curious, um, you're using this information for the benefits of um, gold carding, but I'm, I'm curious to see whether or not you've been able to recognize any um, areas of, I guess, the, the performance within your own practice that that you've kind of addressed because of your your, your data pulling? Oh, I can get all geeky on you. I mean, it's <laughs> usually I get by with my looks and my buffness, but I, I do have an inner geek. And yeah, before you go to a payer, you want to make sure that your house is in order. So we have looked at this data to see if we have outliers. I've got 18 gastroenterologists with 1,366 requests. Do I have outliers or um, that might trip me up when I go to the payer? So we did ferret out that information internally with analytics. And I don't see any patterns. I've looked, I've sliced and diced, pivot tabled it, and can't find it. Interesting. So, and when we, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, it sounded like, I mean, you have all of the data, you, you've looked at the numbers, you've looked at your processes, you've made every argument possible. So how's it going with the payers in this attempt to get gold carded? Well, this goes back to the talks about my high school problems and rejection. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a recurrence of that ongoing rejection thing, uh, but I'm persistent and, um, you know, I took my third cousin to prom, and so I'm going to keep trying with payers. I've not had success yet, but my goal is to um, keep pushing because I believe we're right. I believe we're right. You know, we all talk about the cost of health care, and, mm -hmm. and this is one that is a – I don't understand it. Again, if a gastroenterologist orders – a MRI of the brain, God, let's make them jump through hoops. But if this is something that is our livelihood, we do it day in, day out. We are from the payer's own data. We're cost-effective at what we do. I've got authorization data that says, yep, um, we're, we've approved all but 15 over 15 months. Uh, it's redundant and unnecessary. So I, that's what I will keep pushing. I think with some of the payers, um, they're afraid of two things, probably. Um, three things. They're afraid of Kim, but then two <laughs> other things that they're afraid of. I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. Uh, <laughs> they're afraid of, they're afraid of, of two things. One is if you do it for one specialty or one group in a market and others find out, then everybody wants to be part of it. Um, and then the 
Second thing is because they have gotten um, uh, more of the payers are centralized in their decision making. You know, uh, Virginia insurance company isn't necessarily a Virginia insurance company anymore. Decisions are made in other states. Right. So I think the fear is also that um, in this world, if it happens to one GI practice in Virginia, well, gosh, maybe GI practices in other states hear about it and then suddenly it has this ripple effect. Right, yeah. You know, it, it seems like you're having some high success rates and I'm sure that you still face some, some hurdles. You know, what do you think payers need to see to kind of help spring this process forward with, with, with more practices? Um, that's a really good question. We both, I mean, use, yeah, it is. Yeah. I said, Kim, a really good question. So I hope that was being recorded because this is like yeah. a 47th podcast and nobody's ever said that. So Kim had a really good question. Um, I think what has to happen is that we need to recognize that the way that we look at the data and the way a payer looks at the data, we're coming at it from different perspectives. And so yeah. I'm absolutely willing to share my numbers, uh, show under the hood, if you will, and say, this is how I got to this. These are my costs. And then offer to the payer, let's look at your data. You know, and in the broader scheme of things, maybe the authorization for EGDs is one facet of it. Let's look at the entire cost. How do we, we as a gastroenterology practice, stands uh, compared to our peers and to whatever benchmarks you have. I think the other thing, Kim, is that you really have to be willing that if you have an outlier, you either have to comment and, and, and show why that doctor is an outlier. Um, you know, I've got, I've got gastroenterologists that do um, procedures that are done at very few places in Virginia. Um, you have to either be able to document why they're different or you have to say, okay, I, I don't know why Dr. Jones is different. I will work with him or her to bring them into line. So you gotta, you gotta be willing to do that too, I think. I think that's a really good point because there is some self-correction that can come out of this process. It's yes, really not just about um, you know, making sure that, that we improve processes for the payers, but also using this information to to improve ourselves. So yeah, totally Absolutely. agree. And better care for the for the patients, right? We have outliers. Why do we have them? And you know, and how is that impacting care overall? Yeah, and and for uh, you know administrators that are are looking at this, there's something called the Hawthorne effect that um, if we basically share data among everybody, so we're not putting each provider in a silo, but we're showing them how do they compare to each other. Doctors are innately competitive. That's how they got through medical school. That's how they succeeded. They don't want to be an outlier. So it has, by sharing that information, it, it has its own self-correcting benefits. And that's something that I like to use uh, because it's very effective in working with physicians. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're spot on about that competitive nature, having gotten them through medical school. And it's been a while since I was actively practice managing, but I vividly recall that, <laughs> that spurning them forward onto the correct path. 
So Lucia and I have one final question for you. Um, you have been so informative and honestly, I think Kim and I both, it goes without saying, would love to have you back on the show, but before we go, I have to know, how do you wake up so happy every morning in the midst of all of this? (laughs) Um, I've got an amazing wife and kids and uh, a wonderful dog named Eli. And lots of kids can wake up happy, sad. They're human. So, but a dog wakes up happy, loves to see you. <laughs> what's been going on? A dog is happy to see you. So, I think that's one facet of it. And then another is it's a choice. I choose to wake up happy, it's a habit. And I, um, I know people that wake up who are going to have a bad day. Mm-hmm. It's it it really is they've decided that and um I tend to stay away from those folks. Well, I and think we, that secures it, Kim. We need to get a puppy for the show. I mean absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, and the and the other thing is to know um I'm I'm happy when I make people happy. And I think that's a big piece of, of life is to know what makes you happy and um that's what I sort of look forward to is I have a, I have a chance every day. If I mess, if I joke with y'all today or go out here and put a sticker on somebody's back, if I can make somebody, <laughs> which I do, but it, they pay it forward. You know, you believe that happy is something that is paid forward. So um, that's, that's my secret right there. I, and I get my strength from my people. I mean, yeah. that's where I get it from. Well, those are words to live by. Just wrote a note to myself. I always keep this pad whenever I'm uh, talking to someone very special. Lucian, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. I think we could keep going. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all so much. And whatever I can do to help you all, just let me know. Okay, this has been fun. Yes, we we definitely will will have you back. Thank you so much for participating in this episode of Rev Dive. We're really looking forward to um, being able to provide more content um, coming up soon. So thanks for joining us, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. 